ghosts and ghouls, and welcome back to They Slayed Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. But this time it's spooky, and I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And this week we watched the sequel to Carrie which is a movie that I guess like a lot of things we talk about on this show, I still cannot believe has a sequel. It is called The Rage, Carrie 2 from 1999. It is directed by Kat Shea, and it stars Emily Burgle, Amy Irving, Jason London, Dylan Bruno, and uh, Zachary Ty Bryan is also there, which is pretty exciting for all the fans of Zachary Ty Bryan, I guess. But before we talk about this movie liam we need to talk about something very important okay so before we started recording today i was on twitter because i don't do anything helpful with my time at all and disney plus is on there right now and they're tweeting about every single thing that you'll be able to watch on disney plus it's just a giant thread of titles but some of these titles liam liam some of these titles don't even sound like movies and what I was hoping we could do is that I could just hit you with some of these and you can just kind of give me your impression of like what maybe what that movie might be like or if it's even a real movie. I don't know. Maybe I'll sprinkle some fakes in there if I can think of anything good. We'll just kind of see how it goes. I think that's a great idea. So just to clarify, Disney Plus is a streaming service where Disney is going to host old movies and new movies, right? And these titles are movies that don't yet exist but will. Well, the movies exist just like they'll be av- these are all the things that will be available on the service. Right, all, but like, are the they all Disney. are they already movies or are they going to be Oh yeah, made? no, these are all like the old stuff. Like this is like 60s, 70s, 80s. Like this is just all the stuff that they're going to put on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so these okay, are all I just, got it. these are all just real ass Disney films. Okay, got it. Uh like Candle Shoe Oh, well, that would be a movie, that'd be a spinoff of Beauty and the Beast with uh, that candle man, and he's living all on his own, he's decided to run away. Well, he's decided to run away from the beast, and so he's living a life on the run, and so he's doing a lot of hiking, so he needs to wear a shoe, but because he's just a candle, he doesn't have a foot, so he only has one shoe, and it's about his life on the road. Is that why his name is not Candle Shoes? Yeah, yeah, just he only needs one because he just has a foot. A candle only has one foot. I love that. Um, Unidentified flying oddball. Oh my gosh. Well, that sounds like an Airbud movie, except Airbud (laughs) decides to become an alien. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) And like, it's really important that so the uh, the thumbnail for this movie appears to be someone's face poorly photoshopped into an astronaut suit, but there is. A spaceship called the Stardust, the United States of America Stardust, that has landed outside of a castle where a bunch of knights are fighting. Oh my god! And it's called Unidentified Flying Oddball for some reason. It's really that MVP sort of title Five. scheme, right? Where yeah. it's most valuable, Unidentified Flying Object. Yeah, pretty much. There is one here that is just called Mr. Boogity. Oh, I know Mr. Boogity. What? Tell me about yeah. Mr. Boogity. Mr. Boogity aired on TV in like the 70s or 80s. And, it's a 1986 um, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And or TV it's, show maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I think it might, I think it might be a made-for-TV movie. That, that tracks. Uh, it looks like it has about the budget of that. Yeah, the guy on the poster, he's like a 
kind of like a haunted looking man. I don't yeah. know what he's yeah, up yeah, to. Yeah. I haven't seen the movie, but I've, I've definitely heard of Mr. Boogity. I like his name a lot. I think this was a movie that like scared kids back in the day when it aired. I could see that. And it's using, it's weird though, because it's using like an Indiana Jones-ish font, but it's green. And it makes me think, uh-huh. like, are they trying to make this seem whimsical? So to move into the Rage Carry 2, which from here on out, I will probably just call Carry 2. It should be called the Rachel Carry 2. There's a big problem. <laughs> Dude, There's it's a- really good. Well, there's just a big problem when you try to sequelize a movie that is a proper noun, but then that proper noun is hardly in the movie at all, right? It doesn't make much sense. So. Yeah, well, she's basically not in the movie, period. Like, they barely had permission to use the flashbacks. And for anybody who doesn't know, Carrie is a 1976 horror film directed by Brian De Palma and is based on a Stephen King book of the same name. Uh, stars Sissy Spacek. It's a super iconic piece of horror, you know, the bucket of blood dumped on at the prom, and then, you know, things go bad for the prom. Have you read Carrie? Because you're a big Stephen King guy. I have, yeah, I've read it. It's his first published book, and um, it's it's written in an interesting way. It's, it's um, composed of newspaper clippings and transcripts of interviews, and so it's not actually a linear novel. It's, oh, um, it's composed of a bunch of different cool. mediums. Yeah, there's a name for that genre. I don't remember what it is exactly, Good but it's, 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 it's a pretty short read. It's like 150 pages or something, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all right, but I think the, the movie made much more of an impact on me than the book did. I think, I think the movie really improves on what is there in the book. I think it's an absolutely great piece of horror cinema and it's and it's one of my first horror memories actually it's either the first or second horror movie i ever saw um it's 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 either that one or an american werewolf in london because both of those movies i can remember watching on cable tv with my parents at a house that i lived in a long time ago so i know that it was a good you know 16 years ago or so and i can remember watching carrie and Digging it, um, you know, my parents loved it as well because they had seen it before. My my dad knew it was a classic. I'm like five years old or something. Yeah, I was going to say, and... that sounds kind of early if it was 16 years ago and you're watching Harry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I can recall getting to the final scene um, where we get the the sort of Carrie twist that Friday the 13th would go on to play up as well, where, um, where Sue walks toward Carrie's grave and Carrie's bloody hand comes up and grabs her wrist. And though I don't remember having seen any horror movies prior to this, I remember like having a good feeling as to what was going to happen as she approached this grave and the color palette was foggy and bright and, and nice music was playing. I had an instinct that, oh, this is... Because we just saw so many people die, if this movie now seems so happy, something bad is going to happen. And when Carrie's hand stuck out of the grave, I was just so elated, and I was so excited. And, and that's sort of my uh, my first horror memory and my first memory of loving horror movies. And then Carrie was a movie that played on cable a lot when I was growing up. So I have a lot of memories of watching it late at night. One particular memory, I had a friend over for a sleepover. I'm probably in the fourth grade or something. We're staying up late. My parents are in bed. We're hanging out in the living room. And we're looking through the guide on satellite TV and hitting info on all the movies to see what the (laughs) ratings are. And if the rating is rated R, 
then it'll say why it's rated R. You know, it'll say language or violence or something. And we would look for all the movies that had an N for nudity. And if a movie had an N, we click on it. And then you watch it for a few minutes to see if you're going to see like a naked woman or something. And we found Carrie and... um I finished the movie, and it really scared me this time, man. I didn't have my parents there, and um, I remember going to bed that night and many subsequent nights, and I was thinking about Carrie's mom and how her own mother stabbed her in the back and then walked down the stairs as De Palma's camera is, like, backing up and, yeah. and, and looking, tilted up at her, and she's just towering over the camera, and she's uh, just, you know, saying that Carrie is the devil and needs to die, and the line they're all gonna laugh at you would repeat in my head and so it was it was that mother that really really scared me when i was a kid um i always thought the prom scene was was awesome and really exciting but it was the mother that really terrified me the fact that you know the the evil at the center of that story is just people and um, the way the bullies treat her and the way the her mother treats her so it's the original carrie has been a movie that's that's stuck with me all my life but um i never saw the sequel because i always knew it existed at least i can remember it wasn't a surprise to me when it was brought up that we might do it for this podcast so i i've known it was around so for me it was never you know i wasn't like they made another one where i was surprised it was just i knew i was like oh they made another one and it came 20 years later and um it's not talked about much it's not hailed as a classic the first movie seems like such an isolated story you know and it has that perfect tag at the end where you're sort of traumatized thinking about what's going to happen to sue but what happens to her act after actually doesn't matter all that much um because the damage has been done so i, I didn't really have much interest in seeing what would come after especially because carrie and her mother are both dead you know and they're kind of the, yeah. the center of the story well i'm really glad that this is a movie that has a lot of like personal relevance for you because i enjoy the conversation more when we get a chance to like dig into how the movie relates to everything else that we're already into and i feel like the same thing happened with um like psycho and back to the future and stuff like that so i'm glad that we have that my experience with the first carrie isn't nearly as explicit and i think that's that makes me feel bad because i'm a big fan of like de palma's movies so i don't know why i haven't like sought this out for like a proper viewing but carrie's the kind of movie that i know i've seen all of but on tv and not necessarily all in one go but i've seen it you know what i mean like in that really cobbled together kind of way so it's never hit with like the same intensity that it sounds like it would have for you just because i'm not getting that cohesive experience but i knew all the beats and i knew all like the important scenes and when the sequel is sending up to the original i could kind of read that pretty easily I, I can remember watching it again in high school it was on netflix and i sat down and gave it the the proper front to back again and it, and it felt like it was the first time i had seen it because the parts that stick with you are you know the shower scene and the and the ending and then the tag and you know it's easy to forget that there's a whole hour before that prom scene and there's there's a lot of build-up and so Watching it front to back is, uh, it, it's just, I, I forget that it's actually a full movie because there are so many scenes that are just iconic by themselves. And so I, I can totally understand just getting it through osmosis and, and, and kind of having it all. Yeah. And it's weird too, because 
Carrie is the kind of movie that maintains a lot of cultural relevance, but not just on the strength of itself, but it's been remade several times aside from also having this sequel. In 2002, there was a TV movie version of Carrie. In 2013, there was a version of Carrie, like a straight remake starring Chloe Grace Moretz that happened. And um, it's weird because those come out and they bring the name back up in like the zeitgeist conversation. But I feel like all it's ever done is get people talking about the original because those remakes have like no staying power at all. And it would seem that this sequel didn't really have any staying power at all because you had been familiar with it, but I had never heard of it. And when it came up that that's a thing that we could be able to talk about, like my gut reaction as it is to a lot of things is like, why would you? To a sequel to that and i didn't know if it was like maybe something from the book that they were like expanding on or what and this came so much later carrie Toos from 1999 so it's been 23 years it's given some time to breathe and it makes it seem like they're just sort of potentially doing just like we're gonna update this for the new kids in the modern times or whatever but uh i guess we may as well dive right in here so with all of this sort of sitting in the back of your head, like a lot of like fondness and like maybe nostalgia and like affection for the first Carrie, um, what did you think of Carrie 2? I thought Carrie 2 was an absolute joy, man. I love teen movies. I love high school movies. And we get that from the very beginning, you know, when the camera is is soaring through a field where cheerleaders are practicing and outdoor <laughs> lunchers are a, eating. It's like this is a capital H capital s high school like it's the most yeah, yeah, yeah. high school of all time yeah there's goth kids and there's like a ska punk song <laughs> playing that sounds like 99 left balloons and and dudes are talking about like slaying chicks and they look like they're 30 and it's just it's so charming it, it hit you pretty well then like you just had a good time like it was like a romp it was like we're just having a good horror movie high school time yeah well it was like that from the beginning where i was just so excited that hey this is kind of this is a teen movie from 1999 and and immediately it felt so different from the original carry which i dug it didn't have a super somber tone like um, the Chloe Grace Moretz remake does where it's just obvious that they're trying to do Carrie again and I've seen the the remake of Carrie so I had that feeling going in where I was afraid this might just be it's a sequel but it might actually just be a do-over right where they're just gonna do the slow hour um, this outsider girl is sad and, and she maybe has a mom that that uh, <laughs> she maybe that abuses her maybe doesn't we don't know well it's true and this one right she barely has a mom she's not really present which right. i think is which is a cool idea and so i was afraid that this would be more of a remake than a sequel but i actually didn't feel that at all i loved the tonal difference i realized halfway through the movie that i don't actually know what this movie is going to do because the the, the carrie character rachel here is very different than sissy spacek in the, the original she's much more self-assured and confident and and she's an outsider but like she's like an outsider badass right she's she's outside of the of the cool kids but she's also she's not ridiculed and she's comfortable with who she is which i really really dug and so i figured this movie is going to have to get to a point where Carrie too, which is Rachel, the second Carrie, the second coming of Carrie, where she rages. I was ready for that to happen, but I didn't know how we were going to get to that point. And I actually really loved the ride. I loved that this movie touched on themes of um, sexual harassment and um, males being um, 
just toxic uh, masculinity basically toxic yeah toxic masculinity i really liked those themes um again i loved the high school setting i liked i liked the romance um between rachel and and jesse i liked that a lot um and i like the the relationship stuff in the first carry too and in the remake that's what stuck with me with me the most i like i like relationships like that where it's sort of two people um who wouldn't necessarily uh, be in a relationship in somewhere like high school and they actually kind of strike a bond i love that stuff and so it feels I, a I bit thought, new, next karate kid to me well it did like it 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 was certainly going for the same thing but i think it pulled it off a lot better, better just because sure. of the performances and the direction for example we get a very similar scene where jesse is uh similar to the next karate kid i'm so glad i think i know what you're about to talk about i'm so glad of course you know yeah it's, it's so it's so explicit where jesse is uh saying that rachel has to agree to go on a date with her i know and he so won't let her leave without saying yes yeah, won't let her leave. But in this case, I thought it was much more charming. I I liked Jesse yeah. at this point. It didn't feel as forced and abusive and manipulative. And um, so I, I just I really liked the work that those characters were doing. I liked the time that the director spent on each character. Um, you know, even the characters who are just total caricatures of of men it seems it's actually you know it's not that ridiculous that the way that these these men are acting it's um it's it's condensed and exaggerated but you know when i was seeing this movie i was thinking uh, of uh of like the brock turner case and i was thinking um that this was kind of timely to watch now and and i thought that it was actually a really succinct uh condensation of of all the terrible ways that men can act, particularly in high school when they think that they're on top of the world. And um, so I, I really got a lot out of this movie. I, I thought it was a blast and I'm, I'm glad I saw it. And I would tell people who, who dig the original to give it a try because I think there's more to get out of the, more to get out of the Carrie story than is just in that original. Yeah, I think generally I liked it too. I think that some of it fell flat or flatter for me than it did for you. Like I could still, I still felt like I had a pretty good read on where they were going with this and like how that rage was going to happen. And then once you get there, it's a very like samey approach to that. It feels like it's like, Oh, do you guys remember Carrie? Here's the ending of Carrie, but it's different this time. So like, I'm a bit cynical about some of that, but I do think that the rest of it does have a lot a lot to enjoy and a lot to sort of actually work through. And I think there are some really good performances in here that sort of help elevate some of the, I feel like this is a point that we come to a lot. The performances are pretty good and they elevate some dialogue, which is just outright insane. <laughs> and again, I want to draw a comparison to book of shadows, uh, Blair, Witch two, because these are coming out at like the same time they're doing the weird, put the subtitle first thing, and they're both like sequels to prominent legacy horror, but Carrie too just does everything right. And it's weird seeing like another movie execute so well when book of shadows is so bad. <laughs> this like, really is becoming a Joe Berlinger hate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, I don't mean anything like personal about it, but it's like, man, book of shadows could have been this, like it could have been a movie that feels like, 
aware of what came before it without wanting to ape it that hard and also without pivoting so far away from it that it feels like it's trying to do two different things and it oh also yeah I, I like the way you put that Corey. i think that's a really that's a really good way to say it yeah because book of shadows all at once is trying to do the same thing and also something that's nothing like that and it doesn't work carry two feels like it does have like tonally distinct elements to it and it certainly charts a different path for the main character but it still manages to feel you know like a horror movie would feel like i think there's a lot to like in terms of the effects too and like the way the movie looks and the way it's shot it's really weird it's super cool um there's a lot of moments that cut to like black and white or like handy cam looking footage or like things are in weird colors or have weird angles and it's all distorted and weird and um i think it does a really good job of showing visually what's going on with a character especially with her telekinesis and things like that like the camera will shake or like things will distort or like the color will be sucked out of a scene or something like that or even just in the beginning so we have rachel and her mom and her mom again is thinking that her daughter's like possessed or like the devil's in her or like something like that but she's painting the room with like a red circle like a line around the outside of it as like I don't know, I guess some kind of protection, but it looks like Suspiria, basically. It's got, like, really bright, like, saturated reds and blues, and it's got this really, like, eerie kind of I-don't-love-where-this-is-going vibe. And um, it puts its horror foot forward, and then it manages to pivot to the high school movie, but it manages to keep them both kind of going together, which is nice. To give a quick breakdown of, you know, the general structure of this movie is basically, so we do have Rachel... And her mom is away in an asylum for schizophrenia. And um, she has, like, foster parents. And she's got her friend named Lisa. And, you know, they're just hanging out, having a good time. And they're kind of like like the goth kids in this high school setup. But, like, everything seems like it's going pretty all right, all things considered. And um, then suddenly Lisa commit suicide in a grisly scene in like a really wild scene yeah yeah she suddenly commits suicide i yeah. was and we I don't was know absolutely why we shocked. have no read on this yet at all um and the movie really makes that hit because it doesn't flinch away from violence like this movie has a lot of violence in it that's presented very matter-of-factly and i'm sure we'll come back to this after but basically yeah we just start following lisa and she's like doing a zombie walk basically very dead expression on her face very like you know, thousand yard stare and it's just going upstairs and like walking through this roof and then just like walks up to the edge of the roof and just falls off the roof. And then, but you watch her fall and it's like this like slow-mo thing. But then when it cuts, mm. she just slams onto the windshield of a car and like, you see it like, you oh see the my blood, gosh. The yeah. It's, it's super gross. Like it's, it's very brutal, grim. man. It's, super it's, it's, brutal. it's beautiful though. It's, it's maybe the best swan dive scene I've seen since child's play. And in that movie, a babysitter is thrown out of a window and you get a similar really long wide shot of the character just soaring through the air and you can't see where she's going to land. She's just totally airborne in slow motion. And, um, it's a really, really beautiful shot. And yeah, in this movie, when it's punctuated with her just slamming into the windshield at, at full speed and, and you can see the blood coming out of her face it is it was absolutely brutal and it was it was that scene and it was the opening scene that you just talked about where the mother is painting the room and then we that's see a really Rachel. great scene and it's got really good music 
Yeah, it's great. And 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 then we see Rachel running back into the house as a child and the camera is is sort of backing up. It's in front of her and she is chasing the camera and it's backing up as she's walking through rooms and slamming doors and it's almost like the camera is afraid of her and is backing up as she's moving but still needs to be fixed on her and it it, or it was those two scenes in the first 20 minutes of the movie that that showed me I was in good hands when it comes to the horror material and then the connecting stuff with you know the high school is just it really appeals to my sensibilities so I was totally in 20 minutes into this movie I was absolutely floored honestly yeah and then what we get from there is sort of you know that really shakes the school and it obviously shakes Rachel but it also blows this whole other plot wide open of the guys on this football team these like outrageously cartoonishly shitty jocks they're cranked up to like 15 they have a game going where basically if you sleep with certain girls in the school it's worth points and you're trying to get the most points and it comes out that eric had used lisa as part of this game there's like photos of them together it's a thing and um then rejected her and it's this heartbreak that pushes her over the edge to committing suicide which then gets through to the school and as previously mentioned sue from the original carrie is our connective tissue here and is like the guidance counselor at this high school and she and the sheriff want to push statutory rape charges and try to like shut down this game because they know who the people are that are doing it and there are like he was 18 she's 16 like there's a bad 16 age thing going on here but that gets shut down due to like political influence and meanwhile there is one jock jesse who is our he's the good one i guess is the easiest way to put it like he seems to be the least invested in that game he doesn't really like taking shit from those guys he seems to have a genuine interest in rachel as like a person and is like fairly sweet at points with that and um what it sort of ends up spiraling into is the jocks not being able to understand why rachel and jesse would become an item and also wanting to make sure that rachel doesn't do anything with the knowledge that they're involved in what happened to lisa so it becomes this like conniving back and forth of trying to get back at rachel and keep her from doing stuff while trying to keep jesse from getting involved that culminates in this house party which itself culminates in the titular rage yeah and that's 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 pretty much all you need to know and i think on that path there's some stuff that really works i think some of it doesn't and i want to send this to you because you'll be more equipped to answer it than me most of the stuff with sue is really really annoying was that just me like Um, she's trying to help and i understand and i understand her motivation to help because like it literally just cuts back to scenes from carrie and it's like sue recognizes that rachel has telekinetic powers recognizes the potential for like a major thing here but she's the most antagonistic guidance counselor I've ever seen. Like, she's not just being frank with anybody, and it makes Rachel worse, not better. Yes, yeah, I know exactly what you're getting at. Okay, so to start, the idea of having Sue in this movie, I'm really behind, because I respect that this movie wasn't 
Carrie 2 in that uh, Carrie is recast as someone else or the mother is recast as, as someone else um, and that they're directly trying to continue the story. And I know that that's difficult because uh, the mother and Carrie both died at the end of the last movie. But honestly, I wouldn't put it past them to just to find a way to bring them back and, and recast them as someone else or to have a story that is much more much more a one-to-one copy of, of the first movie. Whereas this, because Sue is our connective tissue and she's the connective tissue sort of in the background as a secondary character, I really dug it because it was the first time in my life that I actually started to consider and be interested in what Sue would be up to after being traumatized by this prom because... You know, I've always thought about the first Carrie as such an isolated story, especially because almost everyone dies and then it ends on such a downer that I end up thinking, oh man, this girl is just, she's screwed for life because she's traumatized and her whole high school is dead. And um, and that was scary enough and, I, and my mind didn't wander much further. But having Sue in this movie as a guidance counselor, I thought it was kind of perfect and I thought it was really, it was true to her character um, that we saw in the first movie that she was looking out for sort of the outsider kid and she was aware of how awful high schoolers can be and, and that she wanted to protect this girl. But but I'm with you. Some of the scenes in the way that they were pushing that are, are a bit um, intense and overwrought. The first time it happened was when Sue is talking to the sheriff about pressing statutory rape charges on the boy who had sex with Lisa. And the sheriff says, are you sure you're not trying to make up for something that happened 20 years ago? And then we get, you know, a flashback to Carrie and um, it makes sense, but it's, it's a bit too spelled out, I think. Um, But even beyond that, we get a scene where Sue is in the guidance counselor office talking to Rachel. And I think this is the one you were alluding to. She's just being way too hard on her. So she's so so aggressive. Like, I don't understand how she thinks this is helpful. (laughs) Yeah. So the lights are really down low and she's speaking to Rachel and she's saying like are you scared these things can be scary you're scared right like you want to kill people right you're gonna fucking do it right and it's just I need to help um, you because you're gonna fucking do it yeah and so I know I'm with you that the the intensity of those scenes um kind of it it, it does come across as annoying and and Sue starts asking her like this list of unrelated questions and it's so dumb because it's like they're trying to be like Rachel's like, why are you asking me all these dumb questions, lady? And it just goes, do you have telekinesis? And then immediately telekinesis happens. And it's like, movie, we get it. Like, we know. And we know that Sue knows. But the way for her to prove that point is by, like, literally asking her and then insisting upon it is, like, I feel like there was a better way to maybe illustrate that we knew that this was how this was working. Totally, yeah. So I'm behind the idea of Sue being here and being a guidance counselor and and doing what she does, but you're right, it it did come across as a bit annoying and a bit on the nose. I think that's honestly the cheesiest part of the movie, even beyond the way the jocks are acting and, you know, the typical, the typical bully and revenge story, which is also a story that I just, I like, it appeals to me. So maybe that stuff is a bit more softened, whereas um, the the story of a, a character being influenced by, you know, the one trait that we're familiar with and just using that as a driving force is is a bit more cliche and trite 
the Sioux stuff, I think, is the biggest problem with this movie. <clears throat> I wouldn't want to excise it completely, but I just think that it could have been done with a bit more tact. Yeah, because then there's even two like, here, I'm going to bring this girl who doesn't understand why I'm doing this to the ruins of the school where the first carry happened. And that will surely get my point across. And it's like, no, it won't. Like, why did you think it would? Like, all it does is make it worse and make her more on edge than she already is. Yeah, but I gotta say, I really loved that set and seeing the ruins of it the high school. Neat, but you it but it felt like ham-fisted to just shove it in there. I don't know. Maybe it's because... Well, yeah, it could have been softened a bit. But again, I like the idea. I like that what Carrie did 20 years ago has, has left such an indelible mark on not only Sue, but the city. Oh, I like yeah. that. Cool. I like that the city has this sort of lore that is defined by an event 20 years ago, because I can, I can totally see that happening. And it's a very Stephen King thing that a, you know, a small town is defined by its dirty secrets. And uh, I really, I really dug a lot of that. There were a couple moments there with Sue where it, it gets a bit eye rolly, but but all in all, I wasn't too frustrated by it, thankfully. Yeah, and then I think where the movie really shines, and it's kind of what we've already talked about, is that it manages to thread the needle between like horror movie, bully revenge movie, and high school movie in a pretty good way. It feels like it's keeping a lot of things in the air without losing any of them. This could easily have become like a really tonally confused movie. And I feel like we never get there. And I think that's probably because the jocks in their game are treated with like an appropriate level of disgust. So it never feels like we're bouncing back and forth between like guys being dudes and then like really serious consequences of those actions. It feels like everything's carrying like a more or less appropriate amount of weight because it's dealing with like fairly serious subject matter and it manages to not feel like it's using any of that just to shock you, which I think is a huge benefit to the movie. And it also manages to have the relationship between Rachel and Jesse like you were saying, feel nice, despite the fact that it is like adjacent to these football players, like being these terrible guys. But it seems like for a while there, it's like Rachel's at a difficult point in her life and Jesse is genuinely interested and he's respectful and helps her out when her dog gets hit by a car and like understands boundaries. Totally. Yeah. And I think, I think it's really important and it's really evident that this movie was directed by a woman because it mm -hmm. has yeah. such, it has such empathy for the Rachel character and it has uh, a level of disdain for those male characters and the way they're acting. And, um, and again, it, it, those, those male characters, they, they they're, um, they're the worst qualities of men bottled up into characters and they're just exuding those characteristics all the time yeah, and in that like the way the shittiest meatheads imagine right and, and in that way it, it comes across as cartoonish but it but it, it just it reads to me as necessary in order to tell the story that they're trying to tell and it, it doesn't feel inauthentic and it doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel like it's cheating at all you know it doesn't feel like it's just setting up these guys in order to to make the story work um to me it felt really poignant and again really timely you know we, we read a lot of these stories in the news uh nowadays of of you know just entitled dudes at in high schools and universities that that really do um have a boys club and and treat women this way and um and i think that this movie was sort of aware of that and i think that that's because you know it's it's directed by a woman and i think whoever made that decision to hire this director 
you know, or maybe she pursued the project herself. I think it's I think it's just really smart. And I'm, and I'm so glad that that's the case, because I think if this movie w- were directed by a man, um, we might get something that is a bit less on Rachel's side and is a bit more concerned with just doing the first movie again, whereas this movie um, is dealing with with themes of toxic masculinity in a very direct and um, thoughtful way. I've got some info on that, actually, before we move on. First of all, Kat Shea had to take over after the original director, who was a man, quit over creative differences, and she had, like, a week to prep before shooting started. Wow. And also, uh, the plot heavily borrows from a real-life 1993 incident. This is per Wikipedia. Quote, in which a group of high school jocks known as the Spur Posse were involved in a sex scandal related around keeping track of points in a book. I suppose maybe it feels like it's touching on something true to life because it literally is, but it is certainly nice to see a movie, especially at that point, because so much of like a lot of what I think about with like late nineties and early two thousands zeitgeist, especially with like the kind of comedy that was coming about then is not mindful of this shit at all. So it's nice to see a movie that's taking this topic with the level of seriousness and tact that it requires and it's interesting to give that real life inspiration angle to it. It was a movie that sat in production hell for a couple of years before actually getting off the ground. Production was supposed to start in 96 and didn't until 98. And it was originally called Carrie to Say You're Sorry. I don't hate that. I think that's a, that's about as that's about as good as what we got. Yeah. It's a good tagline. Yeah, maybe a tagline would be better for that. But and I think to have all that set up that definitely speaks to this movie's ability to balance a lot of different things because it's not just balancing tones, but it's balancing imagery in a really interesting way. Cause there's a lot of stuff that just looks like, you know, a high school movie, but there's a lot of like weird abstracted imagery and like effects and stuff. That's really, really cool. And it doesn't ever feel like one is taking away from the other. Like they feel part of the same movie. And it feels true to the experience that Rachel is having because on the one hand, you do have this like preppy jock group trying to convince her that she's in their good graces because ultimately they're setting up to like dunk on her at this party. But also like she's going through a difficult time and is reckoning with these powers that she knows she has. One of my favorite things is that she's very aware of it. Like it's set up in the beginning, but like it happens while she's cleaning dishes she's just like no like don't don't and she's like talking herself down so it's just a part of her life that is present and this trauma is also present so giving that sort of heightened representation visually with a lot of distortion and taking the color out and layering audio over for like nightmares and stuff it all works well to give this cohesive bit of like the two sides of what she's going through because on the one hand, there's the fairly positive stuff with Jesse and the seemingly positive stuff with the jocks and whatever. And also the struggle that she's having just dealing with that and working through that. Yeah, yeah. I think that the filmic techniques on display here, like the black and white when she's using her powers, it's a really cool cue that that the De Palma movie didn't use. You know, the De Palma movie had its own cues with yeah. split screens and kaleidoscopes and, and sort of... Um, glossy colors and and reddish colors and and i really appreciate this that this movie is establishing its own its own cues and its own 
neat identity that not only makes it different from the original Carrie movie, but also makes it different than the teen movies that it is playing alongside because this movie could have just as well been a horror teen movie that didn't have those unique flares, right? It yeah. could be it could be a teen movie that is still a revenge story and people still die at the end, but it, it's not sort of laced with these these really cool um, techniques that show that there's that there's uh, something under the surface of this teen movie and so i think that this that was a really good choice in order to underscore that this is a different sort of movie and i love i love that this movie ended up coming out in 1999 you know and not 97 or when it might have come out if it had started shooting in 96 because this way it's coming out alongside you know american pie and she's the yeah. uh, it's a she, perfect she's all that side and of it's that just, coin because it shows that you can still do something with that formula without it having to be that. And this is also the perfect example of like doing a sequel 20 years later, which is treating the source material respectfully while genuinely making an effort to do something new. I wouldn't say this is totally new. And obviously we'll talk about the end here, I think in a second, but visually and sort of textually too, like in terms of Rachel's journey over the course of the movie, like it's making an effort to stand out while still feeling part and parcel with the first movie and that's a super commendable thing to pull off absolutely it feels like a, a sequel that stephen king might have written you know like he he wrote a sequel to the shining where we're dealing with uh danny torrance 30 years later or so and it's expanding on a specific character and it's not retconning what came before and it's not it's also not um totally uh, manipulating and adjusting what came before and changing your perception of the original. It's a different enough story, but it still lines up with what was set up in the original. And I think this is a really clever way to do that, that we're expanding on the family in the first Carrie movie and we're expanding on that lore, but we're doing it in a very realistic way where it's like, oh yeah, if Carrie has telekinetic powers that had to come from somewhere, right? And so it stands to reason that there's someone else in her family tree that can do this sort of thing. And so what is she up to? And I think it's clever that, you know, her mother is different. We don't, we're not giving her the same mom. We're not doing a flashback to like when Carrie was born and showing that I, I she actually had that, a twin sister. I or, do think you know. that your dad has telekinetic genes is a pretty fucking dumb thing, but it works well enough here. But I definitely like laughed in the movie's face when that really, yeah. was what the reason was well, just because like it feels i don't know i get that they had to relate the characters to one another it just that's just such a silly sentence to me like oh y'all are both telekinetic because your dad was telekinetic like huh. yeah i don't know man i don't i don't think that's dumb at all i think that's that's totally uh that's like the obvious yeah I that's the obvious it, I answer what else would work, it be but like i laughed because that is a that's a funny series of words and i was like okay movie sure <laughs> like Fair enough. i don't think like it doesn't work and you know we do spend a lot of the movie mostly going through like the high school movie motions which is interesting um it never loses its edge of like you know jesse and rachel are upset with these guys and this other group of like jocks realizes that they can sort of get back at them for you know wronging the jocks basically but it's a pretty protracted process and it starts with like 
Mike, who is like discount Ethan Hawke on roids, basically, along with everybody else. And um, they set up like Jesse and Rachel with like a nice house for a weekend and they get to have like a romantic date or whatever. And it's this whole thing. And then like the girls in the group, Tracy and Monica, start like trying to get her to be friends with them. And there's like makeup and like all this stuff happening. And it's very like, you know, teen movie. But there's definitely like a sinister undertone to it that never goes away. And I think doubly so if you have the knowledge of how the first movie goes, like you don't trust these people as far as you can fucking throw them. That all sort of starts culminating because there starts to be, you know, like arguments and fighting between Jesse and the other guys. And they're trying to like make it up to them while setting up this very specific thing, which is basically that they were allowed to have this like romantic getaway at like Mike's parents' summer house, but they had like sex that night and it was recorded. And it was also factored into that game they were playing in that book because all these points were tracked in like a notebook. And um, over the course of the movie, they're like trying to goad Rachel into coming to this party that's after this football game. And she's feeling a lot more comfortable with that because Jesse's been a good dude and like they're kind of having a thing now. You know, she gets grounded for sneaking out, but has to sneak back out. So it's really like checking a lot of these boxes. And then they go to this party and they're being really nice like with Rachel and they're like dancing and drinking and having a good time. But then they stop. There was like a tape on screen. And I don't know why this visual was even possible in this house. I still don't know how they did this because it's playing on a TV. And then something turns and suddenly it's playing on a bunch of giant like window screens. And I don't know if that's a reflection or like this house is just that bougie because it's like a pretty nice house, but it's like, I don't know how they get the tape playing up on this giant screen, but basically they start playing a recording of Jesse and Rachel having sex and like they throw her the book and they're like really just drilling into this bullying of like you were used and we all hate you actually. And that sends Rachel over the edge and into the titular rage. Shit really starts popping off. Like, a bunch of glass starts exploding and like doors are being slammed closed and a woman dies because she gets pelted with a bunch of CDs to death and it really goes off the rails. It's amazing, dude. I thought the scene was great and I understand that some people might feel that this is the movie sort of succumbing to the formula of the original film. I felt that way initially, for sure. I was like, okay, now we're just doing the carry part and then the movie's gonna end. Yeah, but um, I think that, like you said earlier so well, this movie toes the line between being different and also being similar enough that it's still connected to the original Carrie movie, right? And so I was already so impressed that the first hour of this movie was so different from the original film that if it didn't have this scene at the end, I would think, okay, well, why is this a Carrie movie? That's a good why point. isn't this true? Why isn't this just the rage? And, you know, I guess it wouldn't even be the rage because there would be no raging. Why isn't it just, you know, a teen, a, t- a teen revenge movie? Which, to be fair, I probably would have also loved because there are some really great teen revenge movies out there that aren't supernatural and are just evident of how awful kids can be. There's a movie called Bully by Larry Clark and there's a movie called Mean Creek starring Josh Peck. And these are all fantastic movies. But because this movie is called Carrie 2... I'm impressed that it's different than the original Carrie, but I'm also I'm wanting it to be attached to that movie in in some way. And the best way to do that is to have 
you know, a similar ending and this is the time to do it because like I said, there are moments in that original carry that are iconic, but the rest of the movie is is sort of forgotten between the cracks. There's actually an hour before that prom scene. And so I think this movie does that preceding hour in a really interesting way. And I think the last 10 minutes here, you know, I was glad that they were going in because it, it just, it feels like it needs to adhere to the carry formula at this point to me. And I thought that the way that this scene was shot was great. It's, it looks like a lot of practical effects. Yeah. It the looks deaths, really good. Honestly. Yeah. And, and again, the, the effects are, they're brutal, right? They're showing yeah, things. The, the same, unflinching the sa- violence comes back in like the biggest way. And it's just like, oh, do you want to watch somebody get like a fire poker through their face? Yes. It but, is. <laughs> and it's wicked because you've got to remember that while is being unwavering in its violence before this, it's being unwavering in acts of violence that aren't ludicrous at all, right? Like we're seeing someone yeah. kill themselves and we're seeing a dog get hit by a car, yeah. you There's know, when no it rolls on the ground. It. It's just this is a very matter of fact like thing. Yeah, no pomp at all. And so because we've established that these things that, you know, actually happen every day um, have been shown to us in such a visceral and realistic fashion, it makes these deaths at the end all the more effective because it doesn't feel like a slasher movie, you know, where we're just seeing teens die for the hell of it. It doesn't it doesn't feel people getting their comeuppance, too, but not in like these people are getting like what you figure is coming to them, but it's not relishing in it so hard that it's like okay you know it's not like a saw like torture scene but like it's still elevated because you know this is the moment where like the rachel character is going to get catharsis for those things Mm -hmm. so it's like there's still like something taken in that but it's not so much that it's like okay we get it like we have the three like main bad teens lined up and they have spear guns, which is hilarious. That's the best thing they could find in this house to try to combat this. And if I remember correctly, like, first of all, Monica's glasses explode into her eyes, which is gross. Um, yeah. And then something happens to, like, Eric's dick, right? <laughs> I think. Oh. Um, um, am I remembering that wrong? I swear that's what no, happened. It's um, very possible, man, but it's just, it's such a mess. You're just getting assaulted by all this yeah, stuff at once, Rachel right? Rachel gets shot with a flare gun and, like, the place is on fire, and Mike gets hit in the head with a pool cover, and a woman, again, I really want to hit this one home, gets killed via CDs, <laughs> which yeah, is a no, very 1999 <laughs> horror movie death to have. Yeah, it's crazy, it's brutal, it's passionate. Um, and Jesse I, I wasn't really dug there. it. Important plot yes. note, he's not there yet because Tracy is trying to win him back, so they haven't left yet. And then they get there and like the house is on fire and all their friends are dead. They're like, yo, what the fuck? And Jesse's like, yo, Rachel, we gotta get out of here. Like, let's go. We're leaving. And Tracy gets crushed by like a flaming ceiling. And then so does mm-hmm. Rachel and Jesse's like trying to get her out and then he just leaves. And then, you know, Sue had brought her mother there and attempt to like get her to stop. And then Sue, as mentioned, uh, gets hit in the face with like a fire poker through a door that also went through someone else's face, which is just crazy. <laughs> and um, that sort of mayhem is left very unceremoniously. And then we get a flash forward by a year and Jesse's off at school and has the dog that uh she had. Nah, that oh my gosh i was, was so happy great. to see that and, that was um, awesome she it appears that rachel returns 
and they're gonna have like a nice moment and uh you're very confused she like comes in through a window and it's like okay what's happening here and then she like turns to porcelain and ex- and like cracks and explodes and that scared me genuinely so bad because <laughs> i wasn't expecting it at all well uh, okay so okay wow i know yeah they're just like embracing and then she just like explodes and i was like whoa holy shit and uh, yeah. he wakes up in like a cold sweat from a nightmare and the movie just ends like were you were you expecting a hard turn there like were you waiting for the carry moment of her hand coming out of the ground or was that not on your mind because this is sort of it wasn't you know, on what my mind just... i was waiting for something i just didn't know what it was going to be and i wasn't expecting that right yeah because i when this scene came up for me it was like i was watching the original again saying oh this is oh, way yeah, too i had happy, a bad something. feeling i just wasn't ready for what the movie did <laughs> Fair. Um, I think because that was the first time I noticed the movie using CG, I was pretty, I was disappointed with that final scare. But I think right after she explodes and you see Jesse staring into these mirrors, looking despondent, and he's reflected a couple times over. I thought that was a great last shot. I oh, thought totally. that was really it had depth mirrors. and it was thought provoking. And yeah, so so while her exploding didn't land for me, um, I I understand the sentiment there, and I also think the last shot is fantastic. But I've got to say that because I was expecting that final carry moment and it let me down. I think. It's these last couple minutes where I think the movie adheres a bit too closely to the original Carrie movie because we have the prom destruction, which is great. But then because the preceding hour has been different enough, I want I wanted the last you know a couple minutes coming out of it to also be different, which sure. means I, I don't think that this movie needed Rachel to die similar to how Carrie does in the original. And I also don't think we needed to see Sue die. I think that those two instances are callbacks to the original that don't line up with... Oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't read that as a callback, really. But I we also have a very different relationship with the original movie. So, like, that's kind of inevitable. But I didn't... I actually liked that Sue's death was so, like, unceremonious because it's just like, well, some things can't be helped, I guess. Like... She wasn't yeah, that yeah. one, like. But I guess what I'm thinking is that that same thing happens in the original. Right. That the the woke the woke teacher who's being sympathetic to Carrie the entire movie, her gym teacher, just gets absolutely slaughtered in okay. two seconds, sure, and sure. then she's gone. Okay. You know. Yeah, and I think even still, like I'm still so impressed with like this movie overall. Like I can't think of many other movies that have like. Also, before I forget, isn't there a scene where they do a similar thing with that like piece of dialogue of like everyone like what piece of they're all gonna laugh at you yeah and it just repeats and then it's like something else repeats and it just like drones and i'd really like yes i I love that that too i I called that i called that the they're all gonna laugh at you remix and i thought it worked so well yeah there's creepy music behind it stylistic things and it's wild because i can't think of another movie that takes a lot of stylistic risks and feels like a fulfilling like horror experience that also has a teacher that loves love in Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, what rules. an awful teacher. That, I hated that guy. That guy was the best part. I loved that scene because he was the most high school movie teacher ever. Just, so, yeah, such an asshole, right? Like, such he's teaching dick. something. Oh, you don't first... believe in love? Oh, then what are you, just a whatever? And then uh, yeah. Jesse steps in with this hopeless romantic bullshit. And it's just like, see, this guy gets it because the only way they could be together was in death. 
and that's yeah. not a tragedy. That's romance. And it's like, shut up, guy. But and uh, then and then no one is answering him in the class, and he and so he's like, okay, I'm gonna single out the outsider girl to say know, something so in front dumb. of the whole it's class. The it's so stupid. <laughs> and then she says something, and he's like, that's not right at all. She says Jock, she doesn't man, believe tell in me love. something. And then yeah. he's immediately like, well, fuck you then. <laughs> Yeah, and I love the trope of um, teaching a class lesson that is going to relate to the events of totally. a movie. It's, you know, they do that a lot in Boy Meets so World, funny. and it's awesome. Um, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, this movie, it does a really interesting thing, and it does a good job of balancing these weird things where you do have some high school movie stuff that just feels like a high school movie, and some horror stuff that feels pretty distinct and just, this is a horror thing, but it manages to, like, pair these things together in an interesting way, and, you know, it manages to deal with really serious pieces of subject matter and it manages to balance a lot of different tones and different imageries in a way that feels like all of it's being treated with like the amount of nuance it requires and it just sort of culminates pretty well like i wouldn't be surprised if maybe at some point this movie gets like an exorcist 3 style resurgence yeah yeah i'm i'm perfectly fine with us being the first step forward in championing carry two and hopefully we'll see something on the horizon because yeah I'll, I'll put it down on record right now that this is one of my favorite movies we've seen for the podcast so far oh, it's yeah, it's yeah. one of the one of the best sequels i've seen to uh you know a classic horror movie um again i just think it's a great high school teen movie i think it's a great horror movie i think it's a great subversion of what we were seeing in film around that time and i, I also think it's timely and effective today and in our, you know in the climate and culture today and i just think this movie is an absolute joy and uh it's you know I'll, I'll watch it i'll watch it again and a couple more times before i uh, shuffle off this mortal coil i think it was, <laughs> it was great yeah but with that we would like to thank you once again for listening to this episode of they made another one if you want to be a bigger part of the conversation next week we will be discussing halloween resurrection for the next week of the podcast and if you want to check out that film in time for next wednesday you could you know get in on the discussion a little bit maybe hit us up if you guys have things that you want to talk about and uh we can make this a bit more of a back and forth but until then you can find us all over the internet on twitter at they made another all one word as well as anchor spotify google podcasts apple podcasts breaker stitcher all kinds of podcast services as they made another one there's one difference here. You can reach us via email at a new email address. It is tmaopodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we had a bit of a snafu with the old email address, and also this one's just a bit more concise and easy to remember. So once again, that is tmaopodcast at gmail.com. With recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and whether or not you think that movie should have had more ska in it. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego on Twitter and Letterboxd. The tag is Graham the Mallow. And you can catch me for the time being on Twitter at Mr. Corey Price. And with that, we will catch you all next week for the continuing Spooktober Spooktacular season. They made another one?